Welcome to this edition of Executive Insights. I'm your host, J.D. Miller. Acquiring and retaining top talent in tech continues to be a struggle for leaders. Building and maintaining a skilled and diverse workforce is critical to driving innovation and achieving business objectives. Implementing proactive strategies for talent development, mentorship, and continuous learning empowers IT teams to excel and adapt to evolving industry demands. This includes prioritizing well-being of employees, work-life balance, and career growth. It is all essential for retaining high-performing tech professionals in a competitive job market. After all, 50% of organizations recognize recruiting top talent is the number one priority this year. So today I sit down with Sean Barnes, founder and principal of WSS Solutions and host of his own podcast, The Way of the Wolf, to dissect acquiring and retaining top talent. When we return, Sean Barnes. Sean, thank you so much for joining us here today. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to diving in. So before we get, and I got a ton of questions I want to bring you around acquiring and retaining top talent in IT. But before we do, talk to me a little bit about your role that you've got today and, and how that's kind of evolved. Oh, yeah. So this is a, a pretty long-winded conversation. I'm going to condense it down, try and make it as exciting as possible. I spent the majority of my career leading technology teams and about six to seven years ago, had the opportunity to step in and also start leading human resources and focusing a lot on organizational development, leadership development, building culture and things like that. And now those are the things that get me excited. And so while I have a background in technology for the past six to seven years, been focusing a lot on the HR, talent, attraction and retention piece or side of things, that's what gets me motivated. That's what gets me really excited. And using that unique background that you have, yeah, I want to come to you with the, my first question is, how's the landscape of IT talent acquisition evolved in recent years? And, and what strategies have you found most effective in attracting top talent to organizations? You know, one of the things that I've I've come to recognize, at least from my seat, is how Early on in my career, the the focus and emphasis was always on hard skills, those technical skills. What certifications do you have? Talk me through your experience in designing data centers or man managing SANS and things like that. And what I've come to observe in recent years is those hard skills are kind of now foundational you have to have those hard skills. But what's more important this day and age is the soft skills necessary to lead teams, but also to work with your peers within a team. And that's something that is becoming increasingly important this day and age. Again, like I said, it's almost like these hard skills, everybody's got them. Access to knowledge and learning those hard skills is available everywhere you look. So it's those soft skills that take time and repetition to focus on building. Those are like superpowers nowadays. So as we look at the rapid advancement of technology and it's moving faster than ever before, how do you ensure IT teams stay up to date with the latest skills and knowledge and what role does continuous learning play in talent retention? I think making sure as a leader that you are intentional and focused on building the people on your team is a, a crucial skill for leaders to have. And 
when you have people on your team that are aspiring for greatness in their career, they're trying to grow their career. If you are the type of leader that just says, oh, go figure it out versus the type of leader that says, oh, that's interesting. How can I support you? How can I help you build these skills? Can we pay for you to go to a week of training so that you can get this certification? So I think it's important to make sure that you are invested in building and developing the skills of the people on your team and making sure that they have access to those resources when you create that type of an environment, that is what attracts talent. Diversity and inclusion are important aspects of modern workplaces. And how are you seeing organizations promote diversity in IT? And, and what benefits have you seen in terms of talent acquisition and retention? Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is such a great topic. And I loved your response whenever we spoke about this in, in person. But Whenever I think about diversity, the value there is making sure that there's diversity of thought. And yes, background and experiences and uh, cultural growth in terms of how you've been raised, those all play a part. But ultimately, we want to strive for diversity of thought. Now, if you have a team full of engineers, they're going to be highly analytical, conscientious, and data-driven there's a tremendous amount of value in having those skills on the team. However, there is also a tremendous amount of value of having somebody on the team that is bubbly and outgoing and can communicate effectively across any range of people in the business. It doesn't matter what functional domain they operate in. Having somebody that has that outgoing bubbly personality can be extremely advantageous to building your brand and reputation for delivering results. The one thing that I think I would caution people on is making sure that when you bring those people in that are analytical and data-driven, and then you mash them up with people that are bubbly and outgoing, that they all trust one another and they're all rowing in the same direction and have a common mission and goal that they are all focused on. Because if they have that common mission and goal, you're going to be able to work through any sort of interpersonal issues much easier because they're all moving in the same direction. And when we talk about bringing all these people together and, and diversity and inclusion being part of that, that's a challenge in today's work environment because not everybody's going to the office. I run summits across the globe and ask people, raise your hand if you're you're fully back in office, raise your hand if you're hybrid, if you're remote. And it's mixed, you know, probably more hybrid than others. So talk to me about the challenge of the hybrid workplace when you're trying to have a great, diverse and inclusive uh, staff, and then really bringing culture together. The whole hybrid work experiment, I'll call it, has proven to be highly beneficial if you're doing it the right way. And when I say the right way, it's important to make sure that if you have some sort of hybrid schedule in place, that there is still some semblance of structure and as an example, you might want to make sure that this is a hybrid environment, but on Tuesdays and Thursdays, those are the days that we're in the office. Where I've seen hybrid schedules fail is if they just tell the team, hey, you have to be in the office two days a week. You choose those days. That's fine. Just come and go as you please. 
what ends up happening there is people will take advantage of that. And then maybe they only come in for three or four hours on a Monday and then a random Friday. And you miss out on the opportunities of bringing people together so that they can collaborate because inevitably you're going to have somebody in accounting in the office on Monday and somebody in payroll in the office on Tuesday. And a lot of times those two teams have to talk to one another. And if there is no set schedule, you miss out on such an incredible opportunity to bring these teams together so that they can collaborate. And so this goes back to intentionality and making sure that if you offer that hybrid schedule, which is very attractive and appealing, that you have some structure around it and some guide rails so that all of the teams know, hey, I can count on being in the office Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I can count on the other teams also being in the office so that I can work through those collaborative issues in person. And the the whole come in when you want, you're going to come in and stare at a glowing rectangle, right? You're not going to have those meaningful connections, those water cooler conversations that you, that you need to have. Yeah, that's uh, something that we actually encountered. At first, it was, hey, come in two days out of the week. And unfortunately, it created more challenges because everybody ended up still joining their Zoom meetings. They joined their Teams meetings. So they would come into the office to collaborate, but spent all of that time looking at their monitor. And whenever we decided to shift and say, hey, Tuesdays and Thursdays, you're in the office, it made a huge difference in terms of productivity and morale. Because a lot of times people are introverted, quiet. They want to just do their thing. And they don't want to admit, but they actually enjoy face-to-face interaction with others. As humans, we are pack animals by nature. And so to deny that, it, it just doesn't really work. It kind of flows into my next question because the IT industry is known for high turnover rates. What employee engagement and retention strategies have you seen that have been proven successful in your experience as a tech leader? JD, I got to say, I'm thinking through our technology team over the past really five to almost five years to almost decade. We have not had a whole lot of voluntary turnover. Being in oil and gas, there are ups and downs and, and terminations that unfortunately have to occur. But in terms of voluntary turnover, we've had pretty good luck and haven't had I'm trying to think like over the past 10 years, maybe one or two people leave volunteer. It's just, it's not something that we've seen a lot of. And I would attribute that to the fact that we have very strong leaders in our IT team. And ultimately this comes down to identity, opportunity, purpose, inclusion, and reward. And we talked about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. If you're able to provide an environment where the people on your team, they have an identity People know who they are. There's opportunities for growth. They're included in all of the conversations and decision-making processes. The reward is another piece. Some people like extra time off. Some people like just additional salary or bonuses. Some people like video games. Whenever you create an environment where you have all of those areas covered, people don't really have any sort of need or desire to seek something else out. So it's it's about creating that culture and environment of bringing people together, creating opportunities and allowing people to to grow and shine and thrive. 
we got the the chance to sit together um, in Houston on stage, and, and you even brought up gamification is something that is uh, something that organizations use. How has that been successful? Do you feel? Oh, okay. So the example that comes to mind for me is really not so much on the retention of talent, but in terms of affecting change in the business. We have multiple different, uh, we'll say, uh, business verticals or business units. And one of the things that I've seen when it comes to driving that digital transformation, some business unit leaders are more progressive and they embrace the technology and see a tremendous amount of value. And you're able to make high impact in the business by implementing a new technology solution, whether it's some form of generative AI or analytics those business unit leaders, they, they're they going to kind of drive things for you. Now, there's also going to be other business unit leaders. They resist technology for whatever reason. They're just not on board with. They want to run the business from their gut feeling, and there's value to that. However, there's also value in being able to make more informed, data-driven decisions. So, how gamification comes into this and our competitive nature as humans, you lean in to those business unit leaders that want to adopt the technology. And then ultimately, when they are showcasing their business results, they're showcasing all of the data and analytics and are able to articulate their thoughts around why their business is successful. The rest of the people in the business are going to look at that and think, oh, wow, I want that. And so what happens is instead of you pushing a rope, trying to get these business unit leaders to adopt this technology, you're leaning into that gamification. You're leaning into that innate nature that high performers have to try to beat out or at least not get crushed by their peers. And so lean in to the areas where you can affect significant amounts of change, go all in. The rest of the areas of the organization, whether it's business unit leaders, whether it's people on your team, they're going to fall in line because people don't want to get left behind. Let's take a, a step forward, I should say, and look at the executives, right? Because burnout is bigger than ever before. Recent study, six out of 10 are looking for new jobs. 75% say they're burned out uh, of exec tech executives. As tech executives, how do we avoid this? today um because the pressures on us are more than ever before man this is this is a great topic and whenever we talked about this in houston i hadn't put a considerable amount of thought into it but this is a very real challenge that a lot of executives struggle with and my feedback could ruffle some feathers but ultimately if you're in a senior leadership role and you are stretched all the way to the max and stretched as thin as possible one of the questions i would have is are the people on your team the right people on your team you have to make sure as a leader as a senior executive that you have the right people in the bus and the right people in the right seat on the bus. Because ultimately, if you have a strong team of high performers, you are much likely not going to experience such tremendous amounts of stress or burnout. Inevitably, that burnout comes when you have a low-performing team and that is combined with tremendous amount of pressure from above, 
you're in this senior leadership role because you are likely a high performer. And if you don't have a high performing team, you end up doing all of the heavy lifting and just destroying yourself in the process. And it doesn't have to be that way. And this is something that I've seen leaders struggle with. Maybe they were the best software engineer on the team, and then they get bumped into the CIO seat. That's great. You understand the technology. You understand the applications and the software. When you step into that senior leadership role, it is no longer about what Sean can output. Sean is now a force multiplier. So to minimize that stress that you experience as a senior leader, you have to shift your focus onto building the people on your team. And that comes down to, to delegation and communication. And there's a lot of components there. But for all of the senior leaders that are stressed out, ask yourself, do you have the right people on the team? If not, start thinking through how you either build those people or hire those people. Those are really your options. Let's dive a little more into to culture too, because culture is everything. It, it eats strategy for lunch, as they say. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, in a competitive job market, unique selling points an employer can use or branding strategies that organizations can use to stand out and attract top talent. And, and I'm just going to throw it out there. It, it's not necessarily the, the bar and the foosball table. Yeah. Though the foosball table or ping pong oh, table does fun. really well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this is a, an, another area that I've found interesting over the years, because whenever I think about businesses, building, running businesses, you have, there, there's two sides of it or two pipelines. You have a side of, of customers and a pipeline of customers. And then you also have a pipeline of employees or candidates to come in to support those customers or service those customers. And, you know, a lot of companies, they focus on building their brand, their public facing brand, which is important. If you've got a great marketing team, whether it's internal or external, you have beautiful websites, all sorts of great content being posted on LinkedIn. That's a great start. However, What's a more powerful approach is to make sure that you're building a culture of excitement and inclusivity, because ultimately the people are the best way to advertise and promote the brand of your business. If somebody's looking for a new job, one of the first places they're going to go to is Glassdoor. They're going to look at the employee reviews on Glassdoor. They're going to look at the reviews on Google for the business. And Glassdoor, whether you like it or not, there is some realness and rawness. Yes, disgruntled employees will go leave their <laughs> feedback. But if you've got a thousand reviews on Glassdoor and you're sitting at one and a half stars, mm, there might be something to that. Whereas if you have a thousand reviews and you're sitting at four, four and a half stars, there's something to that as well. So whenever it comes to building an environment, a company and a culture, focus internally on the team. Make sure that you're creating opportunities for growth, that you're allowing those people to step into those opportunities. And when you do that, the people will start advertising. So instead of having one marketing firm or two or three people internal to your organization that are doing marketing, you now have a thousand employees that are telling friends and family how much I love working here. That's the approach. And when you do that, 
the people will start seeking you out and coming to you as an organization. There's also the challenge of talent shortage, right? Um, because every, every data point I see says that there is way more openings than there is talent that, that we do have. So then you, you look at upskill, reskill, outsource. Um, it's different for every organization, but you do run into the risk of damaging culture with each one of those um, because sometimes people don't want to be reskilled um, or upskilled within their organization. They like where they're at. Um, even though you're you're targeting, hey, Bill here could be fantastic, or or Sarah, we 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 can upskill her to a, a different role within the organization. But when you outsource, it, it's a challenge with culture, right? And that could be outsourcing to another country. It could be you're in Houston, and you know what? I can get Waterloo, Iowa talent for and not pay Houston prices. Where is that balance when you're dealing with culture? as you're building these hybrid teams? Man, that is a very good question. And it has to be about balance. There has to be, mm, as a senior leader, it's going to be, it's going to be important for you to have your finger on the pulse of the organization, to understand the culture of the organization I have historically had more of a tendency to bring people in-house because it is significantly easier to get people on board with a company culture when they're part of the team. They're a W-2 employee. They're, they're all in on the team. However, whenever you are growing and scaling a business, sometimes you can't onboard enough of that of that talent that has the technical aptitude necessary to be able to put systems and processes in place to be able to scale your business as quickly as possible. I would, I would imagine that a lot of software development, you know, a lot of that gets outsourced to different areas and things like that. So there are specific use cases where maybe culture isn't quite as important for this other subset of the population, but for any leaders that are trying to evaluate that, I would highly encourage you to segment out functions or duties of your business that are not going to be as dependent on a cultural stance of the employee population and say, this is a very specialized project to deliver this module for this application. We're going to outsource this over here to wherever you want to outsource it to. The rest of the core functions are going to be built by our team in-house because they know our business, they know our model, they know how to successfully build things out to service our customers. So ultimately, it really comes down to your, your ability as a business leader to identify which pieces can I segment out without adversely affecting the culture in the organization. As technology continues to evolve, the skill sets needed and required for IT professionals are changing. So how do you, I love talking about balance. How do you balance hiring for current needs with preparing for future skill requirements within your IT workforce? This is another great topic. And you, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It has to be about balance. And I historically have been more comfortable erring on the side of building the people within your organization as opposed to going out and finding that talent and pulling it in. There are instances, if you are encountering rapid growth 
And it's just going to take a little bit too long to get your IT manager up to that director level where it makes sense to go outside and bring them into the corporation. You need to be very cautious when you do that. Make sure that you're including as many people as possible in the interview process. You're soliciting feedback from those people to make sure that it's a good mesh for them to come into the team. Now, I also want to say that I'm actually more comfortable in the, the slow roll approach. I would much rather slowly grow a business and build the people from within than aggressively building something up and then having to assimilate all of that talent into a culture. It is just far easier to grow and develop that talent within and to be able to build a rock solid culture with that approach than it is to try to drop in talent and get them to assimilate because ultimately you end up, okay, well, this person came from this company. They've got this cultural idea of what it's supposed to look like. This person also came in. They've got a different idea as opposed to slowly building people up from within. So again, it, it comes down to balance. If the mission and goals of the business are to explode and grow as quickly as possible, you're probably going to have to bring that talent in from outside. But if you are comfortable with that slow roll approach and building a rock solid, unbreakable culture, build from within, that's going to be the key. Culture is always key. Culture is always key. Well, Sean, thank you so much again for sitting with me in Houston, sitting with me here today. You have a podcast as well. Tell me about that. I do. It's actually called The Way of the Wolf. I started it about two and a half years ago. <laughs> Honestly, it was because I was such a hardcore introvert the entirety of my life. I wanted to push myself out of my comfort zone and grow, get comfortable behind a camera, get comfortable behind a microphone. And it's something that I have, I've been pretty nervous and, and made a lot of mistakes along the way, but it has been a phenomenal experience and has helped me come out of my shell and become a better conversationalist. And so for any of the people that are watching or listening to this, do something that's going to push you out of your comfort zone. It's not going to be fun. It's not going to be easy, but it will be worth it. Sean, thank you so much. Yes, sir. Happy to be a part of this. A big thank you to Sean. Great conversation. If you want to listen to more of CDM Media's podcast, go to cdmmedia.com or wherever you get your shows. Thank you for listening.